is Bloomberg Surveillance. Nothing positive will emerge until this uncertainty of where Greece stands in relation to its lenders and whether it's safe in the Eurozone is secured. You know, until those are cleared up, you can't expect much from the Greek economy. The things that we'd use traditional retail for, stopping and getting things immediately, are starting to be annexed by Amazon. Over time, as the behavior and people start to realize that they can get anything that they want within an hour, that's when traditional retail really feels it. In a number of countries, uh, particularly, of course, in southern Europe and, of course, in Greece in particular, you have to start asking yourself, well, what is the way out? Bloomberg Surveillance, your link to the world of economics, finance, and investment on Bloomberg Radio. Good morning, everyone. Bloomberg Surveillance, Michael McKee and Tom Keen. We are thrilled you join us today. The fireworks, the festivities of yesterday in the markets, a little uh, subdued uh, this morning, but we'll take it. There's no question. Uh, markets are interesting. Yen is what I'm watching more than anything. Maintaining strength. We had a 110.39 earlier. Right now, 110.41. Uh, the yen at a strength level, a 109 handle would be uh, something. We don't see that right now. Futures up five. Dow futures up 36. Bloomberg surveillance this morning brought to you by Cone Resnick Accounting Tax Advisory. Cone Resnick will provide your business with the industry insight it needs to succeed in a dynamic economy. Sign up for insight and find out how at coneresnick.com, C-O-H-N, R-E-Z-N-I-C-K, com. We check in on Russia. William Pomerantz is more than qualified to speak to us on the many attributes of international law, and particularly as it uh, indicates to Russia, he is deputy director of the Kennan Institute at the Woodrow Wilson International Center, of course, much affiliated, I, I, I would say, with uh, Princeton. Dr. Pomerantz, thrilled to have you on. The last time you were on, we got a huge response. Let's get out of the way right now the latest uproar, which is the Panama Papers. What was your response when you saw the enormity of this and the immediate focus on Mr. Putin? Well, I found it very interesting that the focus was on Mr. Putin, although amongst all the politicians named in the Panama Papers, he distinctly is not one of them. And I think what it showed was what has been the trend in Russia for years, that rich oligarchs and business people use various means to get their money out of the country, uh, offshore, and park it in overseas markets. Uh, what was interesting is that Putin, in fact, was not named in the documents, but other leaders, including the Ukrainian president, was. And I think in many ways the crisis will now be – the Panama Papers will have a bigger a reaction in Ukraine than it did in Russia. And, Mike, we saw that with the exit of the Icelandic leader in the last 24 hours. Exactly where I wanted to go with it. Uh, yes, um, you can infer a lot about Putin, at least those of us who live outside of Russia can. And in a democracy, you see what happens. Uh, Prime Minister Gunnarsson in Iceland steps down. But does it really have any effect on Putin? And do the Russian people even know this is happening? Um, it does. It, it, well, it, it will not have an effect on Putin. Uh, the prosecutor's office has already announced that it is the one that will investigate the charges in Panama, and the prosecutor's office is in Putin's back pocket. So there will be no major investigation uh, in terms of how this crisis relates to Putin. And I think for the most part, the Russians will brush it off. 
I mean, in 2014, more than $100 billion left the country, um, and everyone knew that it was happening. So I don't think this even has at least immediate political ramifications in Russia either. For whom does it have political ramifications outside of uh, former Prime Minister Gunnarsson? Uh, I, I think for, for, for Russia, um, I, I, well, for, for Ukraine, it clearly has ramifications for President Poroshenko. He was in the process of forming a new government uh, that has now quieted it down. Uh, Ukraine actually does have an independent press and uh, free, uh, free and independent uh, uh, legislature. And I think there's going to be investigations in Ukraine. So I think what's going to happen in Ukraine is that it's going to cause greater uncertainty at a time when Ukraine is desperately searching for investors and people to come to Ukraine and to access Ukrainian markets. Again, for Russia, Russia has its own problems, and they're very severe. But I don't think this is going to be one of them, the Panama Papers. The problems have stabilized with oil. Link oil price to the challenges that Russia has. We all got a clinic on that with ruble at 70 on out to 80, dollar ruble down 68, showing a much stronger ruble off a recovery in oil. Bring us up to date on how critical that price is for Mr. Putin. Well, it's critical. The oil price is critical because it contributes basically half the state revenue to the state budget. So Putin and his economic advisors have been busy cutting um, and they're still not done cutting. And it's still questions as to how deep they're going to have to dig into their financial reserves, which still stand above $360 billion in order to ride out this crisis. But so there's still the question of budget cuts uh, that Russia faces. But it's also the question of whether Russia can take advantage of a weaker ruble and try to use that to increase domestic manufacturing and, and move into um, into other markets. Uh, unfortunately, Russia doesn't export that much other than oil, uh, guns, and agricultural goods. So there is a weaker ruble, and I think one of the things the Russian government wants to make sure is that the ruble, in fact, doesn't strengthen. The ability of the Russian state to get through this crisis depends on a weak ruble, and so I think that if the, a strengthening ruble works against uh, many of the uh, instruments that Russia has in place now mm-hmm. to actually get out of this crisis. Because the... the the oil is priced in dollars. Right. So when the, the price of oil goes up, the ruble strengthens. But again, Russia's ability to pay wages, I mean, there's a huge proportion of, of the workforce depends on the Russian state, either directly and indirectly. And one of the reasons why the Russian state has weathered this storm is that it's being able to pay workers off in, in, in cheaper rubles. Um, that being the case, there are also now increased examples inside Russia of workers simply not getting paid. Uh, primarily in the private sector, but this, again, is reminiscent of what occurred in the 1990s and we've when there were huge problems of wage arrears in Russia. We've heard reports uh, they've cut back on social safety net spending. Absolutely. Um, they've cut back on education. They've cut back on health care. Um, they've cut back on all the things they need to, to remain a major world power. And, of course, that's one of the contradictions of what Putin is doing. He is, he's now shredding str- across the stage arguing he's a world power, yet he's making all these cuts that that undermine his domestic economy and social stability. Can I ask a dumb question? He's a young Turk. Is he like president for life? Or I mean, is there any even moment of democracy in Russia? Well, um, he is up for re-election in 2018. 
I think he's 63 or 64. Yeah. Um, he will no doubt have no opposition. He will be reelected for another 6-year term in 2018. Uh, that gets us to 2024. And unless which is 24 is, years, right? Yeah, it would be essentially 24 years that he would have ruled, <laughs> uh, making him one of the longest-serving rulers in Russian history. Um, and I think everything he's doing now is gearing to make sure he stays in power. Uh, he's not introducing any dramatic reforms mm -hmm. uh, this year, um, in part because he needs to get through to the next election. Uh, there's been reports that he would begin to reform after he's reelected, but that's two years down the pike, and how many billions of dollars spent just to keep him keep the status quo? What would what would he be able to do if he were going to make a change, uh, some sort of uh, reform? What would be the most effective thing he could do for Russia? Well, there are plenty of Western educated uh, liberal free marketers inside the Russian Federation. Um, including his former finance minister, uh, Alexei Kudrin, uh, the current president of Sparebank, German Greff. I mean, there are liberal, Western-oriented economists who have consistently called for major reforms over the last year, two, well, year and two, year or two. Um, they exist. Um, I think mm -hmm. they have ideas of what they would want to do. Uh, the problem is that Putin doesn't call on them, and the longer he waits, the tougher the recovery yeah. will be. This is fascinating. Let's come back. William Powerance with us with the Kennan Institute, um, the Inter uh, Wilson, the Will Woodrow Wilson International Center for Scholars, Washington, with us uh, today. This is just absolutely fascinating. I want to come back, Michael McKee, and really touch on NATO. That has been uh, so much in the news, not only comments from Mr. Trump, but in our coverage and, of course, our, our many interviews with Admiral Stavridis from Fletcher School, uh, formerly with his work with NATO with the United States Navy. So, Maybe, I mean, Mike, I'm sure you've got eight themes. Uh, I mean, we could talk about Ovechkin in the Washington There's Capitals. a Russian that matters. Uh, you know. Yeah. He's, the, he's been having uh, quite a uh, quite a run. Yeah, quite a run to say that. The question is, he's only got a few games left, and whether he can get to 50 goals or not, that's going to be. Which in this era would be, folks, for those that don't follow hockey, 50 goals in this era of hockey is an extraordinary accomplishment. We'll see if he... As of last night, 46. Oh, a ways to go. Good luck with that. Uh, futures up five, down futures up 35. Again, watching yen stronger really over the last week. 110.40 is still uh, really something. 110.39 uh, with a stronger yen. I'd also point out German yields. A journal did a nice uh, uh, spread on that today. The 10-year point, 117 on the Germany 10-year yield. Time now to check in with Michael Barr and get the latest world and national headlines. Michael. Mike, Tom, thank you very much. The presidential frontrunners are trying to reset following the defeat of Republican Donald Trump and Democrat Hillary Clinton in the Wisconsin primaries. The next battleground is home turf for both candidates as New York holds its delegate-rich primary on April 19th. By winning Wisconsin, Trump rival Ted Cruz closed the delegate gap, and he increased the chances of an open convention in July. Democrat Bernie Sanders won in Wisconsin. A new report estimates that about 20 million Bangladeshis are still being poisoned by arsenic-tainted groundwater drawn from government wells. That report is from Human Rights Watch. Global News, 24 hours a day, powered by our 2,400 journalists. More than 150 news bureaus from around the world. I'm Michael Barr. Mike, Tom? Michael Barr. Thank a, you so uh, much. surveillance correction 
Uh, Alexander Ovechkin has 47 goals. 47 goals. And he's got three games left. And on the title of sports, may we note Michael McKee's bracket, jaw-dropping brilliance from McKee this year with the NCAA. It's Bloomberg Surveillance. Bloomberg Surveillance is brought to you by Bank of America Merrill Lynch, committed to bringing higher finance to lower carbon, named the most innovative investment bank for climate change and sustainability by the banker. That's the power of Global Connections, Bank of America, N.A., FDIC. Global Business News, 24 hours a day at Bloomberg.com, the Radio Plus mobile app, and on your radio. This is a Bloomberg Business Flash. And I'm Karen Moscow. U.S. stock index yes, futures are moving point. higher this morning. And let's go to the first word breaking news desk for today's morning call. Here's Vince. Here's Vince Signorella. Good morning, Vince. Good morning, Karen. U.S. futures are indeed higher. Dow's up uh, 23, S&P up by two, Nasdaq up six and a half. The 10-year yield is trading slightly higher at 1.74%. The dollar is broadly higher. Crude prices are up. WTI 36.86, Brent at 38.69. On the U.S. economic front, at 10.30, the Department of Energy releases its inventory report. 12.20, Fed's Mester speaks in Cleveland. And at 2 p.m., the Fed releases minutes from their March FOMC meeting. In some of today's top news, Pfizer terminates its proposed $160 billion merger with Allergan. Nokia will reduce its workforce in over 30 countries to save costs in its Alcatel deal. Puerto Rico House approves a moratorium on bond payments. And Bremen, Howard's main hedge fund, is said to have lost 2% in March, erasing earlier gains. Live from the First Word Breaking News Desk, I'm Vincent Signorella. Karen? All right, thanks, Vincent. To hear live breaking news over your Bloomberg, type Squawk Go on your terminal. That's S-Q-U-A-W-K, Go. And that's a Bloomberg Business Flash. Tom and Mike. Karen, uh, thank you so much. Again, Yen 110.36 is what I'm watching uh, this morning. Uh, Bloomberg Surveillance this morning brought to you by Invesco. Factor-based strategies can help investors focus on high-quality, low-volatility, and more. Learn more at Invesco.com slash high-conviction. Will Pomerantz with us uh, with the Kennan Institute. Will, I'm sure it's a topic that's come up now. Uh, NATO is the new piñata. Maybe it's always been the piñata. Where are we in the linkage of the Atlantic Charter of, I believe it was 1941, through to the different agreements in this one institution that's been the anchor for all of Europe? Is the anchor really going to go away? Well, I think the anchor is still there. And there's been a clear commitment to make sure that NATO defends the East European countries that joined in the aftermath of the collapse of the Soviet Union. So there's been obviously increased commitment to defending Poland uh, and the Baltic states and other countries. And there's talk of actually stationing troops inside NATO. What's very interesting from my perspective is the disconnect between the demand of, of NATO and the recognition of Russia as a potential threat in Europe and the statements by various EU leaders which have, who have called for the end of the sanctions regime against Russia. I think that's really the interesting disconnect that's taking place inside Europe, that on the one hand there is a recognition of the problem that Russia faces from a military, poses from a military standpoint, Yet at the same time, the political leaders and the EU and the EU leaders um, are at least talking about whether they want to continue the sanctions regime. 
Um, there's debate as to to what extent sanctions have worked or not worked against Russia. But it would be very interesting if sanctions were lifted by the EU at the same time that NATO uh, increased its defenses against Russia. What is it that uh, NATO actually does at the moment? I mean, is there still any chance that Putin's Russia would militarily invade countries, or uh, is this more of a um, sphere of influence kind of thing? Um, I think it still remains highly unlikely that Putin would attack a NATO member country. Because as soon as he attacks a NATO member country, uh, Article 5 requires that all countries come to defense of that NATO ally. So I think it remains highly unlikely that Putin wants to do this uh, or would do this. Um, if indeed he's looking to escalate a crisis, um, it's more likely that he would do it in the post-Soviet space, whether it be in Ukraine uh, or other parts where there are still significant Russians living in outside the Russian the borders of the Russian Federation. But is the reason he would not invade NATO is there or because it wouldn't make financial economic sense for him to do so? He wouldn't be able to, to sustain any conquest. Uh, it, it wouldn't make any financial uh, sense, but Putin necessarily isn't only worried about financial sense. Uh, clearly, uh, he hasn't the, the, the threat of sanctions and the imposition of sanctions hasn't stopped him in in Ukraine. Um, and so I think that you shouldn't assume that he only bases his decisions on financial mm -hmm. markets or financial decisions. He's clearly making his decisions based on his ability right. to stay in power and to sustain himself in power. And that's a whole different calculation than yeah. a Western politician who wants to get reelected. Dr. Pomerantz, in the time we've got left, let's go back to your wheelhouse, which is international uh, law and making up the rules. All of our listeners look at Panama or Guernsey as the playground of the wealthy. It's 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 something that's out there. We've all known it's been there. Now we've got this uproar over the Panama Papers. Are the elites playing with a full deck on a historical basis? Or is this a new regime of bad, bad? you know, as, they, as Dustin Hoffman said in Peter Pan or Pan or whatever the movie was, bad form. Is it bad form now by the elites? Well, I think what's uniquely knew about this process is the underlying assumptions we had in the 1990s about how we were going to transform uh, new democracies in Eastern Europe. And the assumption was that property rights uh, would be an important path to that transition and that property rights would then be exercised domestically and would be able to play a role in the political evolution of these post-Soviet states. And I think what we've learned over the last 25 years is money is, a much, is, money is much more fluid today than it was 25 years ago, and money will seek places where it's perceived as safer. And so the new regime is that the property rights that we create in these new countries don't necessarily have the political impact that they would have had 20, 50, 100 years ago. Instead, the people who gain property rights in these countries seek to push those rights offshore because that is where mm. their property is safest. And I think if there's a new regime, it's not about elites necessarily. Um, th th these are the rules of the game, and it's the, the West who created them, and it's other countries that can see how they can take advantage of them. Yeah. Will Pomerantz, thank you so much. William Pomerantz is a deputy director of the Kennan Institute, Woodrow Wilson Center, Washington. Mike, that was fascinating. I, I really yeah. learned a lot there. Well, especially in yeah. the context of some of the things being said out on the campaign trail. Yeah. Well, 
Well, there's always the camp. And, and as we heard earlier from Mr. Gall, Mr. Frank Strong and Gallup, the idea that the dialogue will change once they're done the primary season. Nah. We'll see. <laughs> nah. Mike and I are sort of, we're glad we're doing economics, finance, right. investment, and international relations with our dose of Brett Bear and Chuck Todd and Megan Murphy and the rest of the political types. Stay with us. Bloomberg Surveillance. Coming up, though, with all due respect, highlight brought to you by Land Rover. If it's in your nature to cast off the everyday and seek adventure, the Discovery Sport was built to help your search. Visit LandRoverTriState.com or call 1-800-FIND-4WD for details. Land Rover, above and beyond.